Psalm 119. We will not be going through the entire psalm. But what I'm hoping to do is to begin, we're starting this this year, and as the Lord wills, uh, hopefully we will take one, the chapter's broken them into uh, sections of eight, eight verses each. And it's my hope to begin every year with one section from one, one, Psalm 119. And just uh, over the, the next series of years, we just work through it. So that's the hope. Because this psalm is about the Word of God. And it's about the delight and the impact and the glory of interacting with the Word of God. If you have a heading in your Bible over Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet, or you can finish it, and a light to my path. The Bible, if we're going to start the year with one thing that we need to agree on, one thing maybe to resolve, it's we need to get into the Word. I have... I've been blessed to be disciplined in my Bible reading over the, the past many years. And I, I'm, a, I'm a guy that likes routine, and so getting into a Bible reading plan for me, and I found one that was good, and I liked it, and that, that for me has been a blessing to continue to read through. And I, I have completed reading the Bible 20 times, and I will tell you this. I'm just starting. Because when we interact with the word of God, it's not just words on a page. It's God. It's Jesus himself that we are interacting with. And remember, he's, he is glorious in his infinitude, his eternality. He is everlasting and ever, he never ends. So every time we go to the word, we discover new things. You, you know that feeling when you're reading through something, you're like, when did that word get there? When did that verse, the Holy Spirit just makes things come, come just appear to us and, and literally come to life because it's just awesome to interact with the Word of God. So that's what we will be seeking to be stirred to do. <coughs> Let's look at Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Father, we ask that we would be stirred and we would be encouraged and we would be uh, kick-started. We would just see the beauty of who you are as revealed in your word and we would be desiring to engage with it, no matter how, how small of chunks that we're able to take. But Lord, I pray that we would be able to, to invest in your word, and we would see the fruit of that in, the, in our faithfulness toward you, as well as our love toward one another. Please bless the preaching of your word. Amen. We, we, uh, we love survival stories. Uh, one of my favorite is the story of Lou Zamperini, 
uh, in the book Unbroken. It was made into a movie. Uh, Lou Zamperini was a World War II um, pilot who was captured and spent a long time in the Pacific Ocean when his plane went down and was captured by the Japanese and spent years in Japanese prison camps. But he, he miraculously survived. Now, cool end of the story that you don't see in the movie, or, but it, there's, there's little snippets in the book at the end of the book. Um, Lou Zamperini came to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. He came home from the war and had what they called shell shock, what we, today we know as post-traumatic stress syndrome. And, and we know the, the, the aftermath of being in that type of situation. But there's something that we always wonder. It's like, how, how, how would I do in that situation? But we, we like those survival stories. And I, <clears throat> I bring that up to say, I think many times in our Christian life, we are living more out of, out of survival mode rather than feeling like we're on top of maybe the Christian life or just our thoughts, our emotions. Well, we, we just feel like, God, just get me through this week or get me through this situation or just give me something, God. So in our moments where we're feeling like we're in survival mode, this is, I, I think, more, what happens more often than not is that we, we don't go to the Word because we're distracted by what we're going through, and so we lack the concentration to go to God's Word, so we end up just kind of meandering through, and we don't seek what God has given us as the source of our blessing. So we, so we can feel like we're not just simply surviving and moving from day to day or week to week. The word is to be that precious to us. I remember years ago, uh, we took some trips, uh, some missions trips into Mexico, into the interior mountains of Mexico. And we would come across people in villages and we had New Testaments uh, in Spanish and we would hand those out. And for us, it's like, there you go. Got a lot of Bibles. We got Bibles aplenty. But I remember this one lady in this particular town. She came to us and she brought to us the one page of the Bible that she had for 20 years. And the tears in her eyes when she got a full, I think it was, it was John chapter, uh, the first page of John. So like John 1 and 2. That's all she had. But this is what she said. That had been her source of joy all of those years. One page of the Bible had been her joy and her steadfast hope. And she prayed and asked the Lord for somebody to give her a Bible. And here we show up. Here you go. Us rich Americans with a lot of Bibles. But to see the joy, and it has always stuck with me, to see the tears in her eyes as she's showing us, this is all I've had. But yet, her, the way that she treasured that word, even though it was, it was so small, it was a fragment, but she treasured it. And I, that's what, I think that moment sparked in me a desire to simply just want to know the word. And I... At 16 years old, God grabbed a hold of my heart and I just started to say, I just want to read some of the, the Bible. And I was a junior in high school and 
I, even though, and I had to, I had to work hard to get good grades in high school. Never came easily, and so I had to study and I had to work on things really hard. And I was exhausted. I was mentally exhausted. But I, I just got in this mode of saying, God, I at least just want to read a chapter of the Bible before the day ends. So I would do that. And I, I love spending time in the New Testament, small books. It's where I live. I live there. More understandable to me. But I would just read it. I read a chapter of the Bible. And it would, it would do something in my soul. And, and maybe just to bring a peace and a comfort and a settledness to my own anxiety about a test the next day or the stress of, of working through things. I just, I just wanted to read the Word. And I believe the Lord has, thankfully, by His grace, He's blessed that investment. So where now I, I want to read more. And look, I still, I still will read three chapters and then go, I have no idea what I just read. I got to go back and read it again. Because my mind wandered and I was into the day's tasks rather than soaking up the truth of God's word. So let, let's make sure that we are not in survival mode, but experiencing the blessing that's promised in the first verse. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. You know what that word means? Happy. Happy are those whose way is blameless. Happy are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy. So, title of this message is The Key to Happiness. Because we're all looking for it, and God's given it to us. Here is the key to happiness, and here's the answer that God gives us. What is that key? The Word of God. The law of the Lord referred to in this psalm uh, is, is the first five books of the Bible. In Hebrew, it's the Torah. In Greek, the Pentateuch, first five. And, and that's, that's what the law was. But think of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Think of all that's in there. It's called the law. But we know, is, that, is it all rules? No, it's a story of how God brought his people and how from, from the fall of Adam and Eve and the redemption that's promised, you have the whole Bible in Genesis. It's really cool. One day, we might do a study on that. How, how the whole, because Revelation is in Genesis. It's all there. It's really miraculous. It's awesome. He just encapsulated it all in that story. But then you start to get into God redeems, he gathers his people out of Egypt, and then the Red Sea experience, and then Mount Sinai, he gives the law. Now, there's a whole lot that happened before, but then he gives the law. And then all of a sudden, people go a little haywire, because they don't see Moses for a little while. But then all of a sudden, the law is this, all right, what do we do with this law? Think about it. Why did God, the law didn't happen when the Ten Commandments were given at Mount Sinai. Where did the law first happen? The Garden of Eden. Don't eat of that tree. You can eat of all of these trees, but don't eat that one. Why did God do that? I've thought about that a lot, and I think God, God gave two reasons. One, God gave Adam and Eve an, an obedience measure to prove that their relationship with him was real. They were participants with it. God wants us, he wants our participation with him. And so to choose obedience, to choose, I have all of this in God, that, that makes our relationship real. But God also gives that to say, if you want to keep in the experience of my presence, obey. 
They didn't do that. So what had happened? You have to get out of my presence. And the flaming angels of flaming swords stood at the gate of the garden. So when God gives the Ten Commandments and then the rest of the law on, because you had three categories, you had ceremonial law on how you needed to preserve yourself in order to show up uh, to church and, and make sure that your offering was acceptable before the Lord, make sure you're not shortchanging God, but you're giving him your whole heart. Then you had the uh, civil law because they were, their, they were a country and God was their king, so they needed civil law to govern what happens if your ox, somebody beats your ox to death, or an accident, ox, here's how you make restitution. But you also had the moral law. And the moral law was a reflection of who God is. But here's what God was saying. He wasn't holding the standard up saying, look, I'm perfect. Get yourself perfect, all right? That's how we feel, don't we? Get yourself perfect. I can't get myself perfect like God. I'm never going to do it. And Paul has that experience. That's what Romans 7 is all about. I tried to be perfect like God's perfect and try to do all the law. But when I got to the covet part, man, it just sunk me. And James, the apostle James says, if if you're guilty of one of those, if you've broken one of the ten, you've broken them all. So what's the hope? Well, if we're looking at simple rules and how we need to measure up, we've, we've missed what God said. That's what Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees was all about. You guys are missing the law. The law is not a rule book. The law is a person. Because God was demonstrating, he was giving the Ten Commandments to say, if you want to stay in my presence, obey. And the the Ten Commandments and the whole law of God, it's it's a, a perimeter wall. It's a perimeter fence line. That says, if you want to stay in the grace and the presence of God, just obey these. Be faithful to your wife. Don't lie. Don't kill somebody. You're going to stay in God's presence if you do that. But if you sin and you choose yourself over God, you'll be on the outside looking in. God wants his people to experience his presence. And he does that by saying, know me, know the word. This psalm highlights the delight excuse me, highlights the delight of the word of God alongside the necessary investment that it takes to get that delight. It is fitting for us to start this year and as the Lord wills, years to come with this reminder. In Isaiah 37, the prophet Isaiah tells the people of God, the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. That's a a good picture for us to remember as we're thinking about our own investment in the Word of God. We want to take root downward into the Word in order to bear fruit upward for God. But let's think about this at the outset. Does this psalm teach us, remember we just read it, it seems like the responsibility is all on us to perform. So is this psalm teaching a works righteousness? Are we supposed to get righteous by our own effort? If we look at the law, the statutes, the commandments, and remember as something that God just lays out there and says, be perfect like me, that's works righteousness. But if we see the law of God, whenever we see law of the Lord, testimonies, ways, precepts, statutes, commandments, we have to see God there. He's, he's welcoming us into seeing him because it's, a, it's an outflow. His law is an outflow of his character in order to keep us in his presence. Our roots matter. 
And our roots should be in the word of God. What I think the first thing, the first observation we see is that there is a happy life that's being described. Look, blameless. That word uh, has the, 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 the thought of being sincere behind it. A, a blameless, a sincere life. Wholehearted devotion who seek him with their whole heart. And diligence, doing no wrong to others. A diligence and a steadfastness for God. These are things we want. That, that's what we know we want in life that will take away stress and anxiety. But listen, no shame. Verse 6, then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Think of a life that is never knocked down by hurt and regret and fear and brokenness. That's what we want, huh? Now, we know that promise is in heaven, fully, completely in heaven for all of God's people who trust him with everything they are. But think about living today, never being knocked down or knocked out by hurt and regret and fear and the brokenness that we, we are impatient with, but God is gracious toward and merciful toward. That's a happy life upright in heart. We want these characteristics to be the characteristics of our lives, but we, we need to make sure we are going after these things, looking to God for them, not looking for a particular reward for checking off boxes. So we have a happy life that's described, but I think we also see a happy law. When we think about the characteristics and we're going to go through how God describes himself with the law. But the, the writer of this psalm, a lot of people think that David wrote this song, psalm. I don't think so. Just opinion. Um, there's some stylistic things. But the psalm is, I forgot to say this too, the psalm, each, like uh, in the heading above, in Hebrew, each, in the original language that it's written in, each section is an acrostic with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it goes in order of the Hebrew alphabet, and each verse starts with that letter. So pretty cool, pretty beautiful in the, in the original language. And the mind that can do stuff like that, I'm jealous of. It's like, ah, how do you, I don't think with that side of my mind, <laughs> not often enough. But this, the writer of this psalm speaks of the law of God as something to interact with. Not simply something outside of us that needs, not, not some inanimate book standing over us. The root meanings for each of the references of the law of the Lord show us that this is an interactive experience with God's word. The word law has the root of being guided and directed and being taught. So the law of the Lord is not something that's standing over us, condemning us. It's something that's teaching us and guiding us. Testimonies. The stories of God's faithfulness in the lives of his people. His ways. These, these represent and, and they have this root element of life and truth. When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Those are compounding together. So God's ways are his life and his truth and his grace. Precepts. The, the, the concept there with precepts is an overseer to duties. So the precepts are those that are, remember, taken with the law. They're looking to have an effect in the reader. And statutes represents God's will being traced out. 
finding his will. Commandments. This is the authority that God has to give orders. He says, do this and you'll be blessed. Do this and you'll be happy. And his rules, look in uh, his righteous rules in verse 7. Those have, have the feeling of his decision making. How he's made decisions with his people helps us understand how he's going to lead and guide and direct and decide things in our own lives. So these things are not, they're descriptions of a living being who wants an effect in our own lives as we're interacting with him. And that effect is to bring us his happiness. And we'll look at that in a second because we have a happy God. But remember Hebrews 4, verse 12? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. A rule book can't discern anything. It's God who's alive. Jesus is the one that comes. We are interacting with He is the living and active word of God. And the blessing we seek is found in the law of the Lord. Why? Because the law of the Lord is a person. You can think about it this way. Behind every precept is a principle. Behind every principle is a person. Because it's demonstrating who God is. But we have, so we have a happy life that's described in a happy law that we invest in because we have a happy God. He is a happy God. And the law is God. The law is the outflow of his character. And this is why John called Jesus the word of God in John 1. The very first verse. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He is the word. And his happiness is to share his happiness with us. See, the, the, law, the law of God is that perimeter fence line that helps us stay in God's pleasure and in God's happiness so we understand it more and deeper. He gave the commandments and he preserved the testimony of his presence with his people, even amid their faithlessness and their disobedience, to show us that he wants us to be in his joy. John 17, when Jesus was praying for his disciples, but also us as disciples that would come in in generations and years to come, Jesus says this to the Father, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus is a happy man. You've heard me say it before. We know that because children ran up to him. Children don't run up to a curmudgeon. They avoid curmudgeons. Children ran up to him. He was a He is a happy man. But look, that my joy fulfilled in themselves, I have given them your word. And then in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That sanctify, we have to, I think, reformulate how we think about sanctification, becoming more and more holy like Jesus. We, we, a lot of times we'll approach that as, well, let me, let me take the fruit of the Spirit and let me just, all right, I need, I need love, I need joy, I need peace. And we start attacking that in an analytical fashion just to check off. I need more patience, I need self-control. And, but we're missing the person. If all we do is, is look at the precepts, we miss the principle and we miss the person behind the, behind the principle who gives the precept. 
He wants us to have his joy. So sanctification, look, we become more like Jesus when we understand his joy over us, right? That's, that's what we have to remember. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture is Zephaniah 3.17. I love how this describes God's love over us. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. So we can say that in present tense. He rejoices over us with gladness. Let that sink in. He's happy with you. He's happy with us. As many times as we want to throw in like, ah, I got some imperfections, Lord. What about this? What about this? I didn't say that right. I didn't do that right. He says, I'm happy with you. I'm happy with you. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. You know, when Jesus gives a parable about the, the lost sheep, he goes, shepherd goes out, leaves the 99 to find the one. And then what does Jesus describe about that moment in heaven? It's rejoicing. The angels are singing. You know who else is singing? God's singing. God is singing. And what a tune that is. God sings over us. Glad songs. Glad songs. Isaiah 62, verse 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Remember when Jesus went to the cross, despising the shame, what was he looking toward? The joy that was set before him. That was the joy. Of, of seeing Jesus, the, the bridegroom, seeing his bride come to him. And the smile on his face. Uh, when I have officiated weddings, I will typically look at the groom when the bride enters. Because I want to see his face. Because I think about how Jesus anticipates our arrival to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And, and his beaming face. And it's, it's fun, and rightfully so, the attention should be on the bride. But typically, when I'm on a stage, I can't see when the bride comes in, and my eyesight's poor, so I can't see her, her expression, so it's easier for me to look at the group. But I, I enjoy seeing that because it's a picture of Jesus and his joy over us. So look, God is a happy God who wants to bring us into his joy and pleasure and have us sit and rest and be settled, quiet our souls, quiet us by his love. But then he says to us to stay here, just invest in this. Invest in it. And in our investment into the word of God is crucial. Because here, the writer of this psalm is saying, I've got some responsibility here. Whose way is blameless, who walk. I need to walk in the law of the Lord. I mean, I think that's just a picture of walking with God. I need to keep his testimonies. I need to seek him with my whole heart. Do no wrong. I need to keep it diligently. I need to be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Fixing my eyes on your commandments. Praising you with an upright heart. 
Keep your stature. There's responsibility here, right? But this isn't to be seen as, as some insurmountable task. God gives us the power to accomplish this when we are in his love. His love and his grace is in his presence. And when we are with him, we find that we are doing them. And that's what we realize, like the Apostle John said, his, oh, Jesus said this to his disciples, my commandments are not burdensome. So when his commandments become burdensome, we're missing the, the person behind those commandments. But just be reminded of James chapter 1. Be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Or if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law. So we're looking into the perfect, we're looking into a person. The law of liberty and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He will be happy in his doing. And Jesus Example of hearers of his word in Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Oh, that we would be steadfast on the rock of Christ. Amen? Steadfast on the rock. What does Jesus tell us to do? What are his words? Love him. That's what he said. When he was asked, oh, how do you sum up? What's the greatest commandment of them all? (laughs) What did he say? Love God with everything you are. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Love. So his commandment is love. How we learn to love? Being in his love being in his happiness and his joy and his pleasure over us. We will seal this word in our hearts by celebrating communion together. So if you would, please begin to come up, take the elements back to your seat. Uh, We have a couple choices with the juices. You can uh, choose to do the the covered one, or we have the old-fashioned style going back like three years ago. Doing uncovered juices. (laughs) But please, come in the middle. Receive the elements and then go back to your seats. We'll take them together.
misremembering, but I would take too long to try to find it, to read it. But remember when uh, Jesus sat with his disciples and had this last meal with them before he went to the cross for our sins and then his resurrection. He says what? I have longed to have this meal with you. Because there was a, a consummation that was taking place in that moment. His longing to, to have his people connected to him through the presence of the spirit that is given in salvation. He has longed. So he still, he longs to meet with us. I think that's part of our responsibility that we would match and try to uh, respond to his longing to be with us and sit with us and enjoy company together. But he took the bread. He gave thanks to the Lord and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Broken for you. He said, take it, every one of you, and eat it. Because there's an effect that when, when we trust that Jesus has done that, there's an internal spiritual effect of awakening and longing to be with him. Let's remember as we take the bread together. He then took the cup. There was a cup that was always sitting for the, the Seder meal. There was a cup that was reserved for Elijah. Because as Elijah would go, the prophet said, Elijah will come back. And Jesus said it was John the Baptist that came. But that was a, a cup, a chalice that would be out there every, every year during Passover. And it, it represented the people's longing for the Messiah to come. Think of the shock on the disciples' face when Jesus takes it. He says, this is the cup to bring us together. He has longed. This represents God's people's longing for the Messiah. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. New covenant that promises that God will always be with us and never forsake us. And the new covenant promise that he will always do good to us. And he said, take this and drink it. Take it, soak it in. May we remember and appreciate God's joy over us. And the joy that Jesus saw is the joy that we too experience, that his joy would be fulfilled in us. Let's remember that joy as we take the cup. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for Oh, thank you for being alive. You are, you are a God that is near to us when we call upon you. You're a God that keeps us in your love by your power and sustains us in your grace. Father, I pray you would, uh, that, that our longing for you would find expression in just taking time to read your word. God, even if that, I, 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 for moms with little ones, God, I pray they would, they would find moments just to steal away, even if, if it's for five minutes, just to get 
your word to be refreshed. And God, in that moment, I pray it would be so powerful that they would feel and hear your song of gladness over them. Lord, may we all hear your song of gladness. And may that be the transforming power of your spirit so we can understand more of you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's be reminded that our, our commission, if we're going to teach and, and disciple, it's because we have come to know. And so that's, that's the response. We want to know the Lord in order to make him known. But let's be reminded as Jesus told us all, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. May God bless us. Happy New Year.